0: Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us on the provision of God in creation and in our own personal lives. This message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org.
1: Lord Jesus, we come to you this morning and we confess to you that we don't take the time that we need to consider all you've done for us. And because we fail to see what you've done, we fail to worship. And so help us in this class, Lord, this morning to, to, to see as we've never seen before, you as the great provider and to worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Now. If you turn in, in, uh, guess where, Genesis 1, how could you guess? All right, so Genesis 1, verse 20, and follow along as I read, and think about this, this great time when God did the creation of the wild animals, the animals. And God said, let the waters, verse 20, God said, let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creature that hath life, and fowl that may fly above the earth, and the open firmament of heaven. And God created great whales, and every living creature that moveth, which the waters brought forth abundantly after their kind, and every winged fowl. After his kind, and God saw it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters and the seas, and let fowl multiply in the earth. And the evening and the morning were the fifth day. God said, Let the earth bring forth the living creature after his kind, cattle and creeping thing, beast of the earth after his kind. And it was so. And God made the beast of the earth after his kind, and cattle after their kind, and everything that creepeth upon the earth after his kind. God saw it was good. God said, Let us make man. In our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air. And over every living thing that moveth upon the earth, God said, Behold, I've given you every herb bearing seed, which is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree in the which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed. To you it shall be for meat, and to every beast of the earth, and to every fowl of the air, and to everything that creepeth upon the earth, wherein there is life. I have given... Every green herb for meat, and it was so. God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good, and the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Continuing on in chapter 2. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God ended his work, which he had made, and God rested on the seventh day. From all his work which he had made, and God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because that in it he had rested from all his work which God created and made. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created, in the day that the Lord God made the heaven the earth and the heavens. And every plant of the field before it was in the earth, and every herb of the field before it grew, for the Lord had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was not a man to till the ground. But there went up a mist from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. All right, now, two weeks ago, we saw in Genesis 1, God the great lover, God the great provider, God the great preserver... He loved, he provided, he preserved. Who can tell me some of the examples of how God wonderfully loved and provided and preserved? We just read some in Genesis 1. Just some examples. How do you see, uh, how do you see that God loved, provided, and to preserve life? What did he do? Okay, he gave food to, that's right, to animals and a man. And he made a point of saying that. To you, I've given the, these things. Okay, very good. Now, please remember, if you get nothing out of Genesis 1, the theme, those three names, loved, provided, preserved. That's your key to Genesis 1. God loved, God provided, God preserved. God preserved. Now that's what we see there. Now, if I was to say to you, eternal preservation, what's another name for eternal preservation? Salvation salvation or eternal life eternal life that's eternal preservation so you look at genesis 1 and think about the most famous verse in the bible which is john 3 16 for god so loved the world for god so loved the world what was that that was his motivation god loved that he gave his only begotten son what was that that was god's provision That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. What was that? His preservation. See? There it is. It's the same God. John 3.16 in Genesis 1. He loved, he provided, he preserved. It's a theme that we're going to see over and over again. And you see it all throughout the Bible. Because God is the same. Jesus is the same. Yesterday, today, and Forever. So that's why when the proposition was made to him of calling down fire from heaven like Elijah did, he said in Luke 9.56, the Son of Man is not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them, to love them, to provide salvation for them in order that they might be preserved. Think of that woman who was caught in adultery. You remember. And so the question is, how do we see that woman? Do you know that that woman was looked at when she was caught in the very act in the New Testament there, you remember? And the men looked at her with certain eyes and the Lord Jesus Christ looked at her with different eyes, right? The men looked at her and they said, wicked woman that needs to be put to death, needs to be executed, needs to be killed, needs to be destroyed. But on the other hand, when the Lord Jesus Christ looked at that woman, he saw wounded woman that needs to be saved, that needs to have eternal life. Two different ways. And here what we see in Genesis 1 is we see the eyes of God. The eyes of God loving, providing, preserving. And that's what you have there. Now, Couple of weeks ago, we said that there are two reasons why God waited to bring man on the scene on the last day. Now, what we saw a couple weeks ago, we learned about God is that we, we focused on this and we learned about God by the choices that He made in His creation. Isn't that how you really learn about a person? By the decisions that they make. That's how you know a person, by the decisions they make. You know, we have over 600 employees and we have hired really good people, and then there's been the others. Our team has really uh, thought long and hard about how, in an interview session, that you size up the person. How do you size them up? Do you really need to know if they like dogs or cats, or you know? And so, what we've done is, in the few hours that we have with the person to make a decision, is we have one. We've decided we have one goal. And that goal is to find the crossroads or the decisions in life that that person has come to and then to discover what decision did they make. They go this way or they go that way, see? And that's how you know a person. That's how you know a person. If we can't get it, then we might create some suppositional situation, which we don't like. But anyway, you know, if this happened, what would you do? But because... Because that's how you know the person. What we see here in Genesis is God the decision maker, making decisions. That's how we know God. What evolution does is it robs man of knowing God through his decisions. Why? Because the evolutionist doesn't see this Genesis 1, and the creation, doesn't see the creation as the specific decisions that God made in the creation, all the evolutionists can see is what he thinks happened through impersonal chance. It just came about. How sad. How very sad. But the Bible-believing Christian, the Bible-believing Christian sees all of creation as a grand array of decisions that his heavenly Father made. And, then, and he, so he can sing from his heart, this is my father's world. And to my listening ears, all nature sings and round me rings the music of the spheres. This is my father's world. I rest me in the thought that rocks and trees and skies and seas, his work, his hand, the wonders wrought. Okay? So for us, we see in creation personal decisions personal acts of a loving, providing, preserving God. For example, turn, if you would please, to Psalm 104, 14. It says, He causeth the grass to grow for the cattle, and herb for the service of man, that he may bring forth food out of the earth. See, the evolutionist misses all this. He misses the parts about he causeth, he misses the parts about for the cattle, for the purpose of it all, for the service of man. That's the great purpose that God had as the loving, providing, preserving God. And then he misses the great statement that he may bring forth food out of the earth. You know, that's an amazing statement. That's really something. I don't know if you ever think about that. I don't know. This phrase is repeated every Friday night in the homes of conservative and orthodox Jews, as a prayer, In other words, it says, just like it says, he brings the, no, it doesn't say food, it says bread. Brings the bread out of the earth. Brings the bread out of the earth. That's an amazing thing. When we think about that, we, think, we say, Hooray for our God. He made bread to come out of the earth, to feed us. That's what this is saying here. And so we can say that. That's why, look over, Psalm 136 and verse 4 through 9. Here King David is saying in Psalm 136, 4 through 9 it says, To him who alone doeth great wonders for his mercy, right? God was alone before he made man, and he did all those great wonders. His mercy endureth forever, verse 5, to him that by wisdom made the heavens, his mercy endures forever. He's six. To him that stretched out the earth above the waters, for his mercy endures forever. It's to him that made great lights, great lights, or luminaries, his mercy endures forever. The sun to rule by day. The moon and the stars to rule by night. His mercy endures forever. That's the mercy of God, those lights. there. Now, we come in verse now, back in Genesis in verse 28, to the creation of animals. God made them, blessed them. And then he gave to Adam, he gave to Adam dominion, in other words, rulership over the animals. So, He had the purpose in mind when he made the animals. The animals were going to be, as we saw a little bit earlier about the herbs, for the service of man. Man was going to rule over them. They were going to serve man, the animals. I have a dog in my neighborhood that barks all the time. He's not serving me, but he must be serving somebody. I don't know. Anyway, but this is the service of man. And so he has a purpose for the animals. It was for man to use. And just as God had a purpose for creating the animals, God has a purpose for each one of us. Because he doesn't create purposelessness. Anyway, he has a purpose, see? And so that's very, very important. That's the most important thing you can discover in life. What is the purpose that God has given to me? To find it, the purpose that God has. To follow it, the three F's. And to finish it. See, so here it is. It's a purpose. You know, it's a great song. And I want to read you some the hymn here. words: There's a work for Jesus ready at your hand. Tis a task the master just for you has planned. Haste to do his bidding. Yield him service true. There's a work for Jesus none but you can do. There's a work for Jesus, precious souls to bring. Tell them of his mercies. Tell them of your king. Faint not nor grow weary. He he will strength renew. There's a work for Jesus none but you can do. Isn't that good to remember? That God has for each one of us a work that no one else can do. That he has made just for us to do. Now, then we come to Genesis 1.30, where it speaks about to every beast beast of the earth and every fowl, everything. He gave the green herb, the vegetables, for meat, and it was so. So God provided these animals, not only with the purpose for them, as he does for us, but he provided life to sustain them. Life. God is in the life-sustaining, life-preserving business. That's what God does.
0: Tom, you talked today about how God made provision for life to continue. Can you talk today about what provision God has made for man to live after death?
1: Oh, what a provision he has made. The most famous verse in the Bible, John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's the provision that God has made for man. He has done so much that it's described as so loved the world that even at the cost of his very own son, He God has said, I will for man to live. And that's why he came to earth, because he said in John five forty, and you will not come to me that you might have life. What does that mean? That means that he came here to give life. Every sinner that had death marked on him, that was heading right down the middle of the road to hell, and was heading for death and for hell, God, the Lord Jesus Christ was coming to each person and said, and I want to give you life, and I want to give you life, and I want to give you life, and I don't want you not to have life, and I don't want you also to have life. Every single person he has made provision for to have life, they just have to do one thing. Come to him. Come to him. That's the key. Come to him for life, John 540. If you will not come to me, you will not have life. And he said to the people he was talking to, and you will not come to me that you might have life. What a tragedy. He said in John 1010, everything was against man. The thief cometh not but for to steal, to kill and to destroy. What's that mean? It means the devil has come to kill man. The devil has come to destroy man, to steal from him. But he said, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Just look at the garden. After Adam had sinned, you ask the question, what was God doing after he knew Adam had sinned and had brought death upon himself? He was going after Adam. Why? So that he could grab him and say, "I want to see, be the one to watch you suffer and die." No, he was going to Adam to bring him life, to bring him restoration through redemption through the blood of the uh, the slain animals. That was the the covering for Adam, so that he could live, so that he could have relationship and friendship with God again. God has so much provided; He's never changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. What was he like yesterday? Making the world with all the food in it, with all the wonderful place for man to live, with all the wonderful things for man to see, with all the wonderful things for man to do. All of that he was making it today. What is he doing today? Today, he has saved man by his blood. He has died for him for his sins to be forgiven. What's he doing tomorrow? He's going to bring man to heaven. All of
0: that is provision
1: of life for man.
0: That's what God's done. Tom, recently at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California, we had our museum day, and one of our special speakers that was there was Ray Comfort, one of the great apologetists of our time. And we had uh, 40 atheists from the Humanist League of San Diego and Southern California. They showed up to protest. But uh, Ray was really Christ-like. He invited them in for a discussion and lunch, provided them water, and really answered all their questions. But during that discussion, one of the protests was about the fact that God judges. They didn't like that. But you mentioned that God came not to destroy. Now, how would you sort all that out? Well, God is God.
1: And he has a character, and his character is described in Leviticus nineteen two, where he call, he says about himself, "I am holy." He says, you shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. God is a clean God. God is a good God. God is a kind God. God is everything good. That's God. God is not evil. God is not dirty. God is not sinful. God is not a liar. God is true. That's who God is. That's who made this universe, as someone has said. If you don't like that, go find yourself another universe to live in. This is God. He is holy. Now, he has created man, and he has placed him here on the earth. Why? So that man can be creative. Man can make a life for himself. Man can make cities for himself. Man can make cultures for himself. Man can just... Build here on earth, and God is, is is there seeing what man does. It's so instructive when you look at Genesis six before the flood, because man let man sorry God let man go, and God and man went, and he went in the earth, and he did what he did in the earth, and what did he do? And then God said that he came to see. So in Genesis 6, 5, it says, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. Hey, let's put this in context. This is not man's earth. This is God's earth. So this is really saying God saw that the wickedness of man was great in his earth, in God's earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And that made God very sad because that's not who God is. And so therefore it says in verse six, and it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him in his heart. God had heartache over this, because God entrusted to man the earth. God wanted to man be good wanted man to be good on the earth, be kind on the earth, be true on the earth, be loving on the earth. Instead, what did man do? He was a murderer on the earth. He was a liar on the earth. He's, his his, his a creative juices and imaginations couldn't do evil fast enough. And when God said that, God said, Oh, I'm so sorry that I made uh, man on the earth. Oi, this is a big tzuras, a, 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 an aggravation in God's heart. And God said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth. Let's put that back in the right context. God said he would destroy man who he has created from the face of his earth, of God's earth. This is God's earth. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, as the Bible says. And he said he would destroy him because it repented him that he made him. That's God's prerogative. God says, I made the earth to be a good place. Man made it a bad place. I will judge man. I will clean my earth. That's what God does. That's his judgment because he's holy. But, oh, thank God that there's a verse 8 in chapter 6 of Genesis. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. God says, you know, God looks at judgment. He doesn't like to judge. He hates to judge. It's called a strange work of God. You know, and so when he judges, it's like, oh, I gotta do the judgment. But on the other hand, I'm gonna do a great work of salvation. I'm gonna do a great work of grace. And he did with Noah. So when you look at the flood judgment, you always look. Was there water that covered the face of the earth was a great judgment? Yes, but there was a boat that floated above that water, and in that boat was Noah and he was saved by the grace of God. That's who God is. Does he judge? Yes. Does he save?
0: Double yes. And that's wonderful to think about the full character of the Lord Jesus Christ and God. But I've noticed also from this meeting with the atheists that Ray Comfort had that all of these atheists seem to believe in some form or origin without God and some form of evolution without God. But what is the problem With the denial of creation. You know,
1: there's really a great problem with that. And it's not just, you know, I'm a scientist, it's not just an issue of, uh, well, have you properly taken into consideration all the scientific evidence and do you really have the right uh, theory here of your origins? You have that all straightened out. That's not the issue here at all. There's something much, much more at stake. And this is really revealed to us in Isaiah 43 1. And I want to really think about this. Isaiah 43, 1, But now, thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed thee, I have called thee by thy name thou art mine. You see the relationship there? God says, look, Jacob, here's a relationship. On one hand, you are created. I created you. You are formed. I formed you. Now, if you will believe that, that I created you, that I formed you, then Israel, you will enter into the freedom from fear fear not. You will come to appreciate the joy of redemption. I have redeemed thee. You will know the friendship with the Almighty One by me calling you by your name, and you will have the security in your heart, in eternal security, to know thou art mine. That's how important creation is and, and being formed by God is. Redemption, security, and purpose. So how important is creation? How important is it to know that you were formed by God? It's as important as being able to find freedom from fear, redemption of God,
0: purpose in life, and security forever. Thank you for joining us today. Join us again tomorrow as we continue in our expository message series from Genesis. Now, we've got a great offer for you. Are you interested in learning more about the Jewish people, past, present, and future? Tom Cantor has written a book on the life of Joseph. It's titled Understanding the Jewish Messiah and the History and Future of the Jewish People Through the Life of Joseph with nearly 70 pages. If you'd like to obtain a copy of this booklet, call us today at 1-800-247-3051. That's 1-800-247-3051. And we also have other Jewish resources that we can send you. Thanks for listening and join us again tomorrow at this same time.